Let's stand and give God praise this morning. In the house of God, come together with all the saints and believers and let's lift up the name of Jesus. The name above every name. The God above everything. God Jehovah. Amen. Oh God Jehovah. Jehovah Rapha. You're a healer. You and you alone. And we will trust you. Jehovah Rapha. You're a healer. You and you alone. In the middle of doubt. In the thick of the sorrow. Say, look up, so where my help comes from. If everything around us says there is no hope, we're never gonna let go of the hem of your robe. God, Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah I you're our healer. Trust you, Jehovah Rapha. You're our healer, you and you alone. We're standing in your promise, the foundation of your word. Everyone is healed who comes before you, Lord. We're leaning on your power. You'll do what can't be done Either now or forever No, it's you gonna come God, Jehovah Jehovah Rapha You're our healer You and you alone And we will trust you Jehovah Every worry and every sickness, Lord, Lord, you heal. And all addiction and every family and every heartbreak, Lord, you heal. Cause you're gonna do it. You're gonna do it, Jehovah Rapha. We know you will. Cause you're gonna do it. You're gonna do it, Jehovah Rapha. We know you will. God, Jehovah. Trust you, Jehovah Rapha. You're our healer, you and you alone. God, Jehovah, Jehovah Rapha. You're our healer, 
of peace and bright morning star. Amen. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine He's been my fourth man in the fire time after time and born of His Spirit and washed in His blood and what He did for me on Calvary is more than enough. Cause I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. Perfect submission And all is at rest I know the author of tomorrow Has ordered my steps So this is my story And this is my soul Praising my risen King and Savior all the day long. Cause I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. Savior, the one who will never fail, he will never fail. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard. And he answered, that's why I trust him, that's why I trust him, trust the Lord. And he heard, and he answered, I sought the Lord. And he heard, and he answered, I sought the Lord. And he heard, and he answered, that's why I trust him, that's why I trust him. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. That's why I trust him, that's why I trust in God, my Savior, 
the one who would never fail. He would never fail. And I trust in God, my Savior, the one who would never Never fail. Perfect submission and all his address. I know the author of tomorrow has ordered my steps. So this is my story. This is my song Raising my risen King and Savior All the day long And I trust in God My Savior The one who will never fail He will never fail you never let fail you'll never fail you will never fail you will never fail no matter what we've gone through Lord you've always been there and you always will be we don't always see it when we're in the middle of it but when we look back we say he was with me the whole time we look back and we finally get through all the hardships or we finally relent and let God have his way and we we look back at all the hard times and all the struggles and and we look back and just say, God, 
how did I not see it? How did I not see his hand was in the whole thing? How did I not see that he was ordering every little detail? Because we don't see it. And that's why the song says, I trust in God. And it's through those times that, that you, your faith is built up. To the next time you get into it, you say, you know what? I couldn't see it last time. But I know he's there because I look back and he was there. So I trusted him. And I lift him up and praise his holy name. Because he's worthy. We lift him up in this place. Be lifted up. Be lifted higher. Be lifted up. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted up. Be lifted higher. And I sing praises to you. All praises to your name. All the name that's so much higher than all names. All honor to your name. All honor. To your name, all the name that's so much greater than all names. Be lifted up, be lifted higher. sing praises to your name all praises to your name all the name that's so much higher than all names give honor to your name 
honor to your name for the name that's so much greater than all names he lifted up he lifted higher he lifted up he lifted higher Your name is hope inside me, hope inside me. Your name is love, a love that always finds me, always finds me. Your name is life, your name is hope inside me. Hope inside me Your name is love A love that always finds me Always finds me Be lifted up Be lifted higher Oh, lift him up right now. Oh, be lifted up. Be lifted higher. Be lifted up. Be lifted higher. Your name is life. Your name is hope inside me. Hope inside. Your name is love. A love that always finds me. Always finds me. Your name is life. Your name is hope inside me, oh, hope inside me. Your name is love, a love that always finds me, always finds me. Higher. 
Your name 
is great and greatly to be praised. I give glory to you, Lord. And I give glory to your name. Oh, Lord, glory to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I give glory to your Oh Lord, glory to your name. Oh Lord, for your name is great and great to your praise. I sing praises, just give him praise. I sing praises to your name. Praises to your name, oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises to your name. is yours you're the one we bow before reigning over us as we lift you up you will reign forevermore and the praise is yours and the praise is yours you're the one we bow before reigning over us as we lift you up you will reign forevermore and the praise is yours and the praise is yours you're the one we bow before reigning over us as we lift you up you will reign forevermore all glory and praise all power and strength worthy is the lamb of god hallelujah glory 
thing when we come together as believers and we sing songs like that that we know that he is worthy of glory and praise and all of that we know that but right now there are thousands of people outside these four walls who don't know it and I think this morning it would be just an opportune time for us to take a few moments to pray together and I, and I asked the Lord how, how to phrase this and as we're entering into the Christmas season that there would be a Christmas awakening that there would be those who once knew the truth who would be reminded of that there would be those who have never have known that truth that would come to discover it and that God would use the season and the message behind it to awaken the souls and stir the hearts of people in the coming weeks. How many of you think God can do that? I believe. See, I want to I see and hear more voices singing power and strength, glory and honor. Worthy is the Lamb of God. I, don't you? I mean, that's what it's about. It's not It's not me, my foreign, no more. It's as many as we can get in the door. You know, come on now. So, I mean, it's. let's just pray right now. Father, we pray as we enter into the Christmas season that, God, you would bring a Christmas awakening across the land of Acadiana, Lord. That, God, that the hearts of people would begin to ponder and would begin to wonder and think about the very essence of what Christmas is all about. Yes, Lord, I know there's commercialism and all the sales and the lights and everything else. But, God, you can pierce through it all. Every nativity scene that someone looks upon, that they would understand that that is the message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God, let there be a, an awakening, not only from the people,
people in our area, but I pray for the pastors and ministers of our area, that God, they wouldn't just be going through the Christmas season and just, you know, just like they normally would, but God, that there would be an awakening in their own hearts and that they would realize that this is the prime opportunity of, of sharing the gospel, the good news that God loves us and that he gave his son for a purpose. Lord, that God forbid that we just think about uh, twinkling lights and giving gifts and eating food. Lord, it's it's that that's nothing. That's not the Christmas message, Lord. It's about the birth of your son Jesus. So we pray, Lord God. I pray for family members right now who have no relationship with you. Church members here whose family members have no relationship. God, there's going to be an awakening, a quickening in their hearts and in their minds and in their thinking, Lord God, as they ponder what is the meaning of it all. God, let there be angelic visitations if necessary, interventions, Lord God, that you would move in such a mighty and powerful way. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And now, Lord, as we gather in this place, we pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives and through our lives for the glory of your name. Amen and amen and amen. Why don't you just turn and greet two or three people this morning that maybe you've not had a chance to say good morning to. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. I know it's still uh, holiday weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, and some folks are traveling, And but we're glad that you're here this morning. And uh, I, I looked it up just to see, and I know it sounds strange, but this is the first time in 15 years that I've been in the pulpit here at Life Church on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. It's been 15 years. Uh, usually my wife and I are gone this weekend um, over in, in Gulf Shores, Foley, Alabama area. And But last year we made a decision uh, to move it back a week so that we would be home during the Thanksgiving holidays with our family. And so uh, I thought, wow, it's been, I looked it up. And you know how I knew? Facebook reminded me. I opened it up, and there was a picture from a Thanksgiving meal 15 years ago in Foley, Alabama. I said, oh, it's been 15 years. That's a long time. And so anyway, glad to be here this morning. So glad that you're here. Uh, Heidi, I believe you have an announcement to make for all the ladies. Please listen. For the ladies... The ladies. 
We're going to be having a tea, and it's going to be held on Saturday, December 2nd. There might be some turkey at this tea, and there might be some sausages. And we're asking that you would please bring a finger food if you're going to be attending this tea. If you'd like to participate in a teacup challenge, you can go and buy a teacup from a yard sale. And there will be prizes given out for those who have the most beautiful teacup and those who got the best deal on the teacup. But it has to be a teacup that you've purchased, nothing you have at home. So again, that's on Saturday, December 2nd here at church. And it's from 1130 to 2. And I hope to see you all there, ladies. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Oh, man. Uh, everybody keeps saying, well, how was your vacation? I, I, I didn't get much vacay. Um, we got to the church where we, where we usually stay, the house they have provided for ministers, and pastor there had had a stroke. And so I ended up preaching Wednesday and three times on Sunday. And so I was ready to come home. I was tired. <laughs> yes, I, I come home and rest from the rest. And so anyway, um, good to see you. I want to, I want to kind of, and, and the reason I thought about this was because Normally, I don't do a lot of Christmas messages because I've already missed, like, usually the first Sunday in December and whatever, and then we have the children's program. And we do want to remind you about the children's program. That is one of the great opportunities to invite someone to come and be here. Listen, I've learned this, that um, children get the hearts of parents Grandmas, grandpas, in-laws, and outlaws. They can get them all here, I'm telling you. And, and they will come. And, and uh, the way Christmas falls this year is on a Monday. So it's that, usually it's the Sunday before Christmas, but that would be the day before. And so many people will be gone. So it's actually on what is it, 17th of December. So that's just a few weeks away. So that's an opportunity for you to invite them to come and be a part of our Christmas program and all the fellowship that goes on afterwards. And, um, yeah, that's, that's the best part. And, um, and, uh, it's always a highlight of, in fact, I've already had a few calls from some people who don't even go here and says, when is the children's program? And so they're coming, they're coming. And so you invite someone and they'll come too. I'm convinced of that. Uh, while I was away and, and uh, preparing, uh, to ended up ministering in a church over in the North Foley area. I, mean, I was doing some studying on uh, prophecy, and then I, I got to looking at prophecies around Christmas. And I don't know if I'm going to do a series on that, but this is where this message is coming from. It's simply called The Signs of Christmas. Um, the prophet Isaiah, writing nearly 600 years before the birth of Christ was able to see across the centuries if I could put it that way and gave us an amazing and accurate picture of the birth of our Savior in Isaiah 7 verse 14 it says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel 
I mean, this is clearly stated here, and I'm just going to put it up there because it's simple. The birth of Jesus was a sign. The birth of Christ was a sign to all of humanity, to every single one of us. It is a sign. I mean, when you think of Christmas, most of us probably think of seeing billboards for, uh, you know, like Acadiana Village, or you see signs for, you know, Christmas sales and all that kind of stuff, you know, or Christmas uh, programs, whatever. But Jesus, the birth of Christ himself was a sign to you, to me, to every single person. And we find that in perfect harmony with prophecy throughout the scripture. When we look at the birth of Jesus Christ that's found in the book of Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, we all know these verses, but I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, It says, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. The name of Jesus, the birth of Christ, is meant to be a source of great joy for everyone. Then it goes on, it says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's not lose sight of who he is, the Savior of the world. Savior for all of mankind. Savior. He, we are in need of a Savior. And God gave good news that a Savior was given to all the world. And it says, and this again will be a sign to you. God was interested in making sure we didn't miss the signs. He said, this will be a sign to you that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. God has always used signs to get the attention of those that he wants to deliver his message to. I was listening this morning to the scripture on Sunday morning. I listened to the word and... and um, as I'm getting ready, and, 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 and I, I just put on Luke to begin listening to it again. And, and uh, there was, there was um, Zechariah doing his part in the temple. And he, he receives the word about that he's going to have a son, which we know becomes John the Baptist. And, and he says, well, how will I know that this is going to happen? Because I'm old. There was a difference between his response and Mary's. Mary's was, how can this happen? Because I'm not married. I, I've never been with a man. It was like, I'm op- I, I'm, uh, this is great, but how is that going to happen? Instead, Zechariah, he goes, how, how can this happen? He said, because I'm old, my wife's old. <laughs> and um, he was, he was like, like putting down the message. And I love the way... Gabriel responded. He goes, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. In other words, don't take lightly what I'm saying here. He said, and to prove to you what I said is true, this will be a sign to you. You can't talk. (laughs) You're not going to be able to talk. You're not going to be able to express those doubts. You're not going to be able to say those things anymore. And we know what happens. It, and t- when the, till the time came to the dedication of John, his mouth was un, 
loosed and then he begins to prophesy. And, and so God, God's interested in sending signs. Now the problem is a lot of times when we go looking for the signs we, that we want to see, we're missing the signs that God's already provided. And that's dangerous. Lord, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, and God goes, I've already done this, this, and this, that's not good enough for you. Now, see, even, even the Pharisees in the days of Jesus, they said, uh, show us a sign that you are who you say you are. And Jesus said, there'll not be a sign given to you except that of the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he, because why? Because he had already done all the signs that they had said the Messiah would be able to do. He says, you're a wicked generation. I'm not going to show you what you want. I've already given you the signs according to the word. You know who I am. Therefore, read the signs. He says, this will be a sign for you. That, that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Lying in a manger. The birth of Christ, we have a sign from God. So if it's a sign from God, what kind of sign is it? Let me just show you four things real quick. The first one is, it was a sign to Satan himself. The birth of a baby was a sign to Satan himself. Since the first Christmas passage is actually found all the way back in the book of Genesis chapter 3. I talked about this just a few weeks ago. When God drew the battle line after Adam and Eve had sinned against God. And in Genesis chapter 3 we know the scripture says. He says I will put enmity between you and the woman. Speaking to the serpent who is Satan. And between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. God put Satan on notice right at that time, that there was one who was going to come and that was going to crush his head. In other words, God says, Satan, I'm going to send the Messiah. He's going to crush you. He'll bruise your heel. You'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. How many of you know there's a big difference between a bruise and a crushing? <laughs> so the devil knew that Jesus was coming. And he did everything he could to stop him from coming. I talked about this just a few weeks ago. Uh, Pharaoh putting the Jewish boys to death. Uh, Esther stops the death of every Jew that was in slavery. Herod killing all the boys that were two and under in a certain region. And there's all kinds of examples where the enemy tried to stop the promise that God had said that there would come a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer. So Jesus Christ, his birth was a sign to Satan. But his birth was also a sign of God's power. How is the birth of a baby the sign of God's power? Because it wasn't just a normal, well, it was a normal birth. It wasn't a normal conception. It was supernatural. That made everything about this baby supernatural. The, the, the time that it grew in his mother's womb to, to the time that he was born, it was all supernatural. The Bible told us, tells us that, that a virgin would conceive. That's the power of God. I said, that's the power of God. 
The birth of Jesus was a miraculous event, unlike any that the world had ever known. And yet, it, it goes by unnoticed by so many people. When, when we pass a church and we see a cross, and we pass a church and we see a steeple, most of us don't think about Christmas. We don't think about the birth of Christ. We, we, we've moved on beyond that. But this is what I believe this season can be an awakening in the hearts of so many people if we remember what it's really about. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Matthew's writing to Jewish people. That's his audience. So he comes from that perspective. And he says, the birth of Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. You know, we can get in a hurry to read past these things so quickly. But he says, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. That's what the angel had told her. It says, the, the, the Spirit of God will overshadow you, will come over you, and you shall conceive. It says, and then it goes on, it says this. It says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded, mindful, wanted to put her away privately, to do it secretly. He, it wasn't that he was ashamed. He, was, he, just did, he knew what the penalty would be if, if in a betrothal that she broke the betrothal by being impure and, and, and having a child that the town could turn on her. So he, he, wanted, he says he was a good man. He, he wanted to do what was right by her. And he goes on and says, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Wow, How, look at the power of God again. He, now, now he's bringing a message to Joseph. Let's take the halos off these people. Come on now. You know, they didn't have halos. He's a, he's a, he's a carpenter. He's a working man. And he's, he's engaged to a girl that he finds out she's pregnant. And they're engaged. And, and, and so he's, he's trying to figure out how to divorce her, to, to, to break the relationship privately, quietly. And God appears to him in a dream. Can I tell you, that had to be a great dream. I mean, a powerful dream. It wasn't like a pizza, pepperoni, mushroom dream. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, I had a guy one time tell me, he goes, no, he said, I got those kinds of dreams when I have buttermilk and onions. And I'm like, why do you have buttermilk and onions? I'll never understand that part of it. And I said, and, uh, but, you know, he, he had a dream and an angel appeared to him in the dream. And what did he do? He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph had to have some kind of religious upbringing to even understand that. Because if you ask the average person today and said something like that, they'd go, say what? <laughs> you know, they would look at you and go, what? Conceived to who? Where? How? You know, but he, he understood that. And it says, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There's the message. 
He came to save the people of their sins. And it says, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. In other words, God did all of these things to fulfill the word that was spoken almost 700 years before. According to Matthew 1, 18 through 25, and Luke 1, 26 through 38, it makes it clear that this prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14 is fulfilled in through the person of Jesus Christ. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the fulfillment of prophecy. You know, we're seeing prophetic events that are taking place in the Middle East right now. We're seeing prophetic events take place in the United States and around the world right now. There, there are things that God is doing. I, I don't know how many of you saw, I, I posted a thing about a week or so ago of an article that came out of Gaza and there's 200 men in one night in Gaza had the same dream telling them about Jesus Christ. And they came and reported that they had had this dream. And here was 200 men in a city that's, a you know, we think it's a little tiny village. This is a huge city area. And they all had the same dream. Why? God is supernaturally trying to reveal himself to the people. Why? Because the time is short. God became man. That in itself is supernatural. The Bible says that God, Jesus, set aside his glory. He set aside the glory of his Father. He set aside that, and Jesus became flesh. God becoming flesh came and dwelt among us, being born of a virgin. So it was a sign to Satan, <laughs> and, 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 and it was a sign of God's power. But the birth of Christ was also a sign of God's love. Isaiah says that he shall be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us, or God is with us. It's a promise that God himself will appear in human form. You know, there are many false religions in the world that were started by individuals who claimed to be God, born in the natural way, conceived in the natural way, but they claimed to be God. But only one was conceived by the Holy Ghost, and he proved that he was God. There were in the Old Testament incidences where God appeared to people as a person. In Genesis, we're told that God and Adam used to walk together in the cool of the evening in the garden. Later, God appeared to Abraham as a weary traveler. There are other instances where God appeared. The, the theological term is a theophany, where God came in physical form, 
Jacob wrestled with a stranger in the middle of the night. It was God in physical form, but it was for a moment. It was not for a lifetime. Christ, the Word, John says in his gospel, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, God appearing as an individual or an angel appearing as an individual is unique and, and supernatural, yes. But God became flesh. The book of Hebrews says that God became lower than the angels. Imagine that. He created the angels, but yet he became lower than the angels. How? in that he became flesh. But when he was resurrected from the dead, he was lifted up next on the right hand of his father. And the Bible says that through Christ, we too are elevated and raised up. We may on the chain of or chart of creation be lower than the angels, but we who believe in Christ have been lifted up to a higher place. And one day when we stand before the throne and we're singing the glory and the praise of God, the angels are going to have to step back and they're going to have to be quiet because they cannot sing the song of the redeemed for they have not been redeemed. We'll be singing a song that only the redeemed know. It's, it's, it's like going to a lecture of someone who has studied about something versus going to a lecture of someone who's done it or been there. I can tell you which one I want to hear. Not the one who's read about it. I want to hear about the one who went there. The one who be, who's there. Who has the stories. Has the experience. Has the intimate knowledge of it. So what's unique about the appearance of Jesus? And that is that Christ actually became a person. In the beginning was the word of God. We have the father, the word and the Spirit. I know I've said this before and it freaks people out sometimes, but I say God never had a son until Jesus was born. Because before that, he was the Word of God. And through the Word and by the Word, all things were created. But the Word, John says, became flesh and he tabernacled, he dwelt among us, he lived among us. To reveal to us the love of his father. That was his purpose in that. He wanted us to know that God loves us so much that I was willing to come and become one of you and live among you. That, that I could reveal to you my father's heart towards you. My father's love towards you. In the Old Testament, God took on human form. But in Christ, Jesus actually became a person. The, the theological word is incarnation. In fact, Justin, don't turn, turn the sound for the computer on. I forgot to tell y'all. I'm going to do something in just a moment. And uh, we, we hear the word incarnation. I remember as a kid, I thought gee, God became a flower. 
you know, carnation. I, I used, my, my mama used to make carnation instant milk. I hated that stuff. Anybody ever drink that stuff? You could never get all the lumps out. And there was nothing like drinking a cold glass of milk and then a lump of that dry powder would get in the back of your throat and you'd choke and cough. Some of you looking at me like I'm making this up. Does anybody really know what I'm talking? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Yeah. You said, why would you do that? Well, when you're broke, that was a whole lot cheaper making milk for seven kids than buying gallons of milk when, you, when your boys would drink two or three gallons a day. But the theological word was the incarnation or the incarnate Christ. God become flesh and blood. We sing Christmas carols at Christmas time. And I don't know about you, but there's just some Christmas carols. They get in your head. You hear one verse of it, and you're stuck for the next four days with that thing going around in your head. Does anybody, anybody have that problem? Yeah? I won't ask which one it is because, you know, yeah. But you know what? Many of the old hymns in the Christmas carols are filled with great theology. And when I say theology, I'm not talking about pie in the sky. I mean, really Bible definitions and descriptions for us. Uh, the second stanza, or part of the second stanza of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I always get a kick about that because my, my firstborn child, my son, was in a little children's program in a church in Tennessee. And they, each of the kids had a letter that spelled, you know, like C-H-R, Christmas, all the way down. And my son had the H. And he was just a few years old. And all he had to do is flip the H and go, H is for herald, angels in the night. But no matter how hard we tried, it was H is for herald, the angel in the night. We had a herald, not a herald. There's a difference. Some of you are looking at me like, what did he say wrong? Herald is a name. Herald is a position. <laughs> and so anyway, when I think of Hark the Herald, <laughs> it's Hark the Herald, angels sing. But in the second stanza, there's some great theology here about the incarnation of Christ. I want you to look at this. I was waiting for someone to finish it. <laughs> but do you see that? I mean, he's saying Christ in heaven, highest adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, that God became flesh. Or stanza four of 
Oh, come all ye faithful. You know, usually when we sing the songs, we only do like one or two verses. Many of them have four, five, six, seven verses. But stanza four, there's just two lines of this. So... You couldn't help, right? I started to put it up there anyway. I said, but then I'm going to distract you from the point. You know, <laughs> word of the Father now in flesh appearing. The love of God. What God would do that? What God would lower himself, remove himself and lay aside his glory and come and dwell among his own creation and become one of them. What God would do that? The Apostle Paul tells us the story from his viewpoint of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 8. And it says, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why would Christ do this? Why would Jesus do this? What were the benefits of the incarnation? What were the benefits of it? Well, I've, I, I'm not playing the song for this one. We're just going to look at the verses, okay? Look, look at this is the third stanza of, of Hark, the herald angels sing. Hark, the herald angels sing. It says, Hail the heaven born Prince of Peace, because Jesus comes to give peace. We sing, hail the son of righteousness because Jesus gives the righteousness of God to sinners. We sing light and life to all he brings because Jesus opens the eyes and resurrects the souls unto eternal life to those who believe in him. We sing risen with healing in his wings, not only because he took the sickness of disease of sin from us, that he, he took and bore the stripes upon his back, that by it we may be healed. And then the last line, as it goes, begins to go back in the chorus, it says, it says, mild he lays his glory by. Why did he lay his glory down? Why? God doesn't do anything without purpose. He didn't just say, well, I guess I'm going to have to take this off and lay it over here. Can I tell you that when Jesus was born, there was no neon sign flashing an arrow going, Savior born this direction. They, they had no clue that he was coming. But why did he come? Now I say there's three reasons particular. He was born that no man need die. You say, well, but people die all the time. But he says, those who believe in me shall not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. 
He was born that man should no longer die. Because when Adam sinned, we were placed under the curse of death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Spiritual death being complete separation from God. Born that man no more should die. Born to raise the sons of earth. What do you mean raise them? To raise them up from the place that they were in. Raise them out of the pit. Raise them out of the muck and mire of sin. Raise them out of that pit of depression. That place of oppression. That place of death. God sent his son to raise his sons out of the earth. The bondage that there is. To raise them to a greater height. And he was born to give them second birth. That's in the song. He was born to give us a second birth that we might be born again. Jesus said, unless you be born again, you cannot enter into heaven. You cannot see my father. This is why he came. One author I read years ago said this, and, and, and I just want to put part of it up on the screen. He said, Jesus endured a human birth to give us a new spiritual birth. He occupied a stable that we might occupy a mansion. He had an earthly mother that we might have a heavenly father. He became subject so that we might be free. He left his glory to give us glory. He was poor that we might be rich. He was welcomed by shepherds at his birth, whereas at our birth are welcomed by angels. He was haunted by Herod that we might be delivered from the grasp of Satan. That is the great paradox of the Christmas story. It is that which makes it irresistibly attractive. It is the reversal of roles at God's cause for our benefit. I'm telling you, it's a sign of his power, sign to Satan, sign of his love, but it's also, and last of all, a sign of God's faithfulness. Within the scientific laws of probability, somebody goes, say what? The, the, the who to what? I'm not a scientist, but I can read. I can, I can study. And within the scientific laws of probability, there is what is known as the single law of chance. Okay? And you see, and what is that? Well, I put it up there. There it is. That events whose probability is extremely small never occur. That's what they call it. In other words, the chance of something is so minute that it's not even a chance. It won't happen. That's science. I didn't make it up. But I'm telling you, you go look it up and that's what you're going to find out. And so from the viewpoint of prophecy, I, I, I began to look at this. 
And using that law, that events, his probability is so extremely small, they never occur. If you were to apply 100 Old Testament prophecies regarding the birth of Christ, the chance that one person, one person's life could fulfill 100% accurate prophecies without any errors in sequence. You understand that? In other words, 100 prophecies lined up perfectly in a row and fulfill every single one without skipping one, missing one, slightly getting around or anything. That law of chance that I just read to you, that, that single law of chance would require, and I, I can't even figure out these numbers, would require 200 billion Earths populated with 4 billion people each for the chance of fulfilling 100 prophecies in a sequence by one person. My, my calculator doesn't go that high. My computer don't go that high. This brain don't go that high. 200 billion Earths with 400 billion people for the chance that 100 prophecies could be fulfilled by one person in sequence. That's what it would require according to the single law of chance. And yet the scriptures record not 100 prophecies. The scriptures record over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. 300 separate prophecies concerning the coming of Messiah in exquisite detail at his birth. Hosea 11 and 1 prophetically points to the fact that the Messiah, Jesus, will escape to and return from Egypt. Jeremiah 31 and 15 prophetically points to the grief and the sorrow that came to the Bethlehem mothers and their refusing to be consoled in spite of there being a good reason for such. Another of those prophecies of Christ's birth is found in Micah 5 and 2. Micah 5 and 2, we see it on Christmas cards. And Micah 5 and 2 tells us exactly where Christ would be born. I'll put it up on the screen. It says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The verse begins with the word, but. But you. In other words, he, he's pointing out something that seems impossible. He says, but... In other words, but God's going to do something here. He says, the, in other words, he's, the, the but is the however 
It's the introduction of something new, something grand, something that is about to alter human history. And the origin of this grand work is not the one, is not in one of the world's capitals. It's not even in the Jewish capital of Jerusalem. It's in the town of Bethlehem. Now we all know about Bethlehem. And we're used to hearing the name Bethlehem. Right now, I don't know if you saw in the news, just they, they tore down all the Christmas stuff in Bethlehem because pa Chris, Bethlehem is in Palestinian territory. I remember when I went to Bethlehem years ago, we had to get off the bus we were on because it was by a Jewish bus driver in, in, in the land of Israel we had to walk across the border through security. They had to approve us, check us. Then we had to get on a bus driven by a Muslim with a Muslim guide who would take us to the church in Bethlehem. I mean, when I got done with all that, I told, I was putting together a trip the next year and I told them, my, the coordinator, I don't want to go to Bethlehem. I don't care what anybody says because it takes a whole day just to do it. And when you get there, you go, this is it. This is what, this is it. And it's supposedly the place where Christ was born. They built a humongous church over it. You know, who knows? We, we, we know enough of the Christmas story that we know Bethlehem plays an important part. But 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem was not even a well-known place. Remember when the Magi came? And he said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And Herod goes and calls on the scholars and the scribes, and they have to look it up. Bethlehem of Judea. Bethlehem. Bethlehem? You know, I mean, it wasn't well known. In fact, when Jesus later in his adult life, they, they were saying, we found this guy from Nazareth. Then they said, can anything good come from Nazareth? If they had said Bethlehem, they would have said, where is that? It's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, it, if you've ever been, have anybody here ever been to Two Egg, Florida? Or how about between Georgia? I have. Blink and you miss it. Between Georgia had a building mobile home that was a convenience store, post office, two other mobile homes, and that was it. And it was called Between Georgia. So you tell people, it's from between Georgia, between Georgia and where? Carolina, Alabama, Florida, between Georgia. No, between Georgia. Two egg Florida, there's four truck stops on each corner. It's at an intersection. Four truck stops on each corner. Two egg Florida. I don't know how they came up with that guy. I'm just figuring somebody at a truck stop used to flip and make eggs, and he flipped them with two eggs. I, I, you know? I don't know. But if I told you that, you'd go, where's that? That's what they did about Bethlehem. So obscure that nobody would have known, but Micah 
says, but you, Bethlehem, you, Bethlehem, from the past will come somebody into the future that will come out of your place of being. Micah proclaimed that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, but get this, a week before Christ was born, Mary was still in Nazareth, 80 miles away. Now, most of us would think, hour and a half at the most, we can get there. Some of you could do it in an hour, I know. But not back in those days. Not when you're nine months pregnant and having to walk. Somebody said, oh, she rode a donkey. Where is that in the Bible? It's just one of those things that we assume that we see on a card, but we don't know that. And when they walked, they had to know that God was in control. Caesar Augusta orders a census be taken. The census required Joseph to register in the city of his family's roots. He was from the family line of David, he had to go to Bethlehem. And so Mary and Joseph, at just the right time, made a four-day journey to Bethlehem. And what's even more amazing than the prophecy of the location of the Savior's birth is that his origins are in the distant past and will become from you on my behalf. The prophecy clearly predicts that the existence of Christ predates the creation of the universe. Can I tell you? God can handle your problem. If before the creation of the universe itself, God was there, Christ was there, the plan of God was there, then he knows your situation, he knows your circumstance, he knows what you're facing, and he can handle it. The problem is we don't give it to him. We want to give it and take it back. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. I says, cast. Any fishermen in here? How many of you know what casting is? Shh. No, no, no. Cast. Let it go. We, we, we throw it out there and do like this. And we bring it back. God, I give it to you. It's still here. I'll give it to you, Lord. Y'all got to do, you got to cast like my son did one time. When I was a South Louisiana pastor and all the men, at least once a year, we'd go to Grand Isle and we'd fish all night. We'd hang lanterns over the side of the old bridge there. And all the bait would come up and the trout and the reds, but especially the trout, they, they, you know, they, 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 speckled trout would come up snapping and going. And we took a whole, like, two vanfuls of guys down there. And my son was a young teen Preteen, I guess preteen, yeah. He would, he would have been, Sammy, you would have been in your class. <laughs> and, uh, and he came up to me and he said, Daddy, can I cast one time with your new fishing pole? No. 
But daddy, just once, just let me cast one time. Because I had two poles there. I said, you can use the old one. But I want to I want to cast the new one. I want to just cast it one time. Please, Daddy, just one time. I'm just going to do it one time, Dad. Dad, please. And his friend's right there. And, and the other men in the church going, come on, preacher. Let your son throw the thing one time. So I go through the whole process. Dad, I know how to do it. I've done it in the backyard before. We used to have a 60-foot canal behind our house filled with alligators and stuff. And, and he... He'd go out there at night with a popping cork and he'd throw that thing out there and reel it real slow and pop it right when the gators would go to get it. So he knew how to cast it out and how to reel it back in. Daddy, just let me do it once. I said, okay. And I said, but don't you mess up. I said, bring it back to me when you're done. He said, all right. So he and his friend take off down the further down the bridge and I'm busy helping other guys get their lanterns set and everything all of a sudden I hear a commotion down at the other end of the bridge I don't know what's going on and all of a sudden I see my son coming back like this with his friend they're kind of speed walking with their head down trying to get past me with a I go whoa 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 where's my fishing pole I don't know what happened I had it with two hands It just kept going. I said, Lord, why? He said, now you have an example when you teach on how to cast your cares. I said, Lord, that was an expensive example. Later on, he had the audacity to ask if he could cast with my old pole. No. Go sit in the van. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just pointing that out. I mean, God, if he can predate the universe, predate everything, he can handle your my, our situations. Let me close with this. Let me make this personal. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. I want us to look at a couple of those truths in closing. And that is this, that God is always faithful to his word. Always faithful. Say always. Always what? Faithful to his word. You can be assured that the promises of God will be kept. The second thing is that Jesus is God come to you and to me in flesh. You could not save yourself. I could not save myself. We cannot earn it. We can't do anything. But God loved you enough to come to you to set you free from the curse that Adam bestowed upon the human race. And the third thing is that the gift of God gave of Christ Jesus is in you. If you are a believer in Christ, he lives in you. You may say, I know that, but he is your gift of hope. He is your gift of freedom. He is your gift of salvation. It's a personal gift. A personal gift. I saw... 
I read a story the other day where somebody had ordered gifts for their family and decided instead of wrapping it themselves, they would have it shipped from the manufacturer to the individuals in the family and put a note card. You know, you can do that online, right? Order something. Do you want to write a note? Yes, write it there. And they'll ship it for you. My, my youngest brother almost always sends a gift from a big company with an A on it. And, but it never has his name, so we never know if it's from him or not. But this person decided, I'm going to do it easy this time. Instead of me wrapping it, me having to write the card, me having to go to the post office, me doing I'm going to let them do it. Well, they messed up put the wrong cards and the wrong gifts to the wrong people. Can you imagine opening a gift that's got a personal card with a different name and it's something that you'll never use? And everybody in the family was calling him back going, why did you send me this? Why did you? I didn't send you that. Why did you send me this? No, but he sent it, but it went to the wrong person. So it wasn't personal. It was rather impersonal that way. I just say that because God loves you. Because the Hebrew word in you, in Isaiah, you, for unto you is given this day. That word you is plural. It's not you personal, one. It's plural. It's for all of us. He says, but the angel said to them, listen, do not fear, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people God loves us so much he sent you a personal Christmas gift and it was in the form of his son and the baby Jesus grew into a man he died on a cross he's buried in a tomb because he paid the price that God required for the forgiveness of sins not the covering but the forgiveness, the wiping away of sin. But then God raised him from the dead. And today, if you and I will put our faith and trust in him, then we can receive the greatest gift. Just curious, how many people in here Christmas time just tell family members, don't get me anything. I have all that I need told my wife that the other day. I said, I don't want anything. I don't want anything. I have all that I can possibly want. I have a beautiful family, beautiful church, church family, friends. But the greatest gift that I have is a Savior who not only saved me, he delivered me. He healed me. He walks with me. He talks with me. And he's coming back for me. There's nothing that can top that. Those are the signs of Christmas. God's love, his power, his mercy. And I just want us to take a moment right now. I don't know everybody here. I don't know where you stand with God. 
But if you just take a moment and just bow your head right where you're at and ask yourself, have I received the greatest gift of Christmas? Have I opened the door of my life and my heart to let God come in and take up residence in my life? And if you be honest and the answer is no, you can right now without any embarrassment. God's already done. Paid. He's already paid the price for you. He paid it for me. He's paid it for all of us. The Bible says that you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a life without sin. He died on a cross and was buried in a tomb for three days. He was raised from the dead. He lives now and is seated on the right hand of the Father and that he's coming back again. The Bible says if you believe those things in your heart and you are willing to confess it with your mouth and get what you're doing is giving him the seat, the place of authority, the place of control of your life and you're saying, Jesus, I recognize your love for me. I recognize my need for you. I invite you to come into my life and from this day forward, I will follow you. The Bible says if you believe that and confess it, that he will wash away your sins. He will give you a perfectly brand new, fresh beginning. That's what Christmas is about. If you're ready to surrender to Christ and you're ready for someone to pray with you, we're not going to call you out, not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you to be honest with yourself and you're ready to give your life to Christ because he gave his life for you. I want you just to slip up your hand and then slip it right back down so I know who to pray with if there's anyone at all. I'm not going to beg and borrow, beg you to do this. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Anyone else? I appreciate you so much being honest. We're going to pray a very simple prayer. There's nothing magical, mystical, super spiritual about these words. It's just the declaration that I made a moment ago. And now we're going to say it in a prayer. And if you raised your hand, or maybe you didn't and you should have, I'm going to ask you to repeat it right where you're at. I'm going to ask you to speak it out with me as we pray. Dear God in heaven, I come to you this day. I recognize that you are God and I am a sinner. I am in need of a Savior. Dear Jesus, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth you are the Son of God. You died on the cross and you were raised from the dead. You paid the price that I could not pay for the forgiveness of my sin. 
Dear Jesus, I give you my life and all that I am this day. I surrender all to you. Come into my life. From this day forward, I will follow you. In your name, I pray. Amen. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray for those who prayed that prayer, that sim- those simple words, something supernatural has just taken place because your word says those who confess, those who believe are instantly translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the eternal kingdom of your son. Therefore, God, there's rejoicing going on in heaven. And therefore, Lord, there's rejoicing going on in your church today. For there are lives have been born again. Greatly behold the second birth. The second birth has just transpired. For those who believe and confess are born again by the Spirit of God. That is truth that we can believe and know to be absolute truth. And I thank you for it, Lord. I pray for those who pray that prayer right now. I pray, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you would begin to teach them and guide them and direct them and lead them in all truth concerning Jesus. That they would walk from this place and they would sense there is a change they, don't, they may not understand it all, but God, as they get into your word and they begin reading Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and see who you really were, God, then the Christmas story has a new beginning. A new beginning in their lives. And we praise you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we all just give God praise right now for that? Before you leave, is there anyone here that you need someone to pray with you for whatever need you have in your life? I'm going to ask you just just come up front and let some of the prayer team come and minister and pray with you. We'll pray with you. I don't care what the need is. If it's a financial need, a spiritual need, if it's a a physical need, healing, whatever, we want to pray with you before you leave this place because Jesus, he takes care of all the needs, all the issues, all of that. He'll take care of that. And if you need prayer, we invite you to come right now. And we will have people who will come and pray with you right now. Come on. Come on. Thank you. Come on. Come on. Come on. As we begin to pray with these people up here, if you're still here and you want to just be in agreement with them, just stretch your hand towards them. Oh, yeah.
found me just as I am empty and put alive in your hands majesty singing majesty your grace has found me just as I am Empty handed, but alive in your hands. Here I am, humbled by your majesty, covered by your grace so free. 